You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome to Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, December 20th, the year of our Lord, 2020. <laughs> we got a full show tonight. That I can promise you. Uh, we are going to do full playoff reaction in our own special way around here. So if you're looking for basically a repeat of what you saw on the broadcast types uh, earlier today, you're probably not going to get that. But we will react as only we can. I've got a lot to say. Got a lot of different popular talking points to address. I'm not going to address people by name. That would be rude, of course, unless I'm going to say something positive. I am going to react. You know, this is going to be bold right here, but. We kind of care about conference championship games on this show. You know, college football, instead of folks sitting around a desk talking about hypotheticals. So we're going to talk a lot about the conference championship games yesterday, too, uh, including one that started Friday night. So we're going to hit on that. I'm going to give you the very latest that we're hearing out of Auburn. Yes, there is still a coaching search going on down on the Plains. And then, and this is in no particular order, it's just off the top of my head, then at some point in the show, we got a hit on Knoxville, Tennessee. We haven't really talked about that, but there was a a new card kind of inserted into the deck over the weekend, and a lot of you know what I'm talking about. So we are going to hit on that because there may be some movement happening at Tennessee. And then I'm going to give you some time because a lot of you are cheering right now. Shame on you, by the way. There are rip people involved here, so shame on you. But we are going to talk about all that. So this is just a little programming note here, the last show that we're going to have live until after Christmas. So I'll be, Colin, is that after Christmas? Let's see. Yeah, it is. So, okay, so we'll be back here Sunday night. So the next live show we'll do is Sunday night. Now, having said that, obviously a lot can and probably will happen this week. So I'll be down in Georgia. I'll be at home and I will be ready to react. If something happens at Auburn, if something happens at Tennessee, if something happens at a number of different places where we don't even expect anything to happen, I'll have reactions. So you'll still want to keep your eyes peeled on the channel. Make sure you've clicked the bell for notifications if you haven't already. And hey, make sure you've subscribed to the channel if you haven't already. We've had some excellent numbers, some really good numbers lately. So thank you. Hey, just thank you for that in general. Thank you for having been here all year. And then there's one more thing I have to beg you for after I say thank you. Um, I got to be honest with you. Some people around here, perhaps myself included, secretly doubted that we could ever get there. And by there, I mean 1,000 five-star reviews on the Late Kick podcast. But lo and behold, uh, as of about six and a half, seven minutes ago, when I was standing out in the uh, control room and I was checking, I said, Colin, we got seven, we got 962 five-star reviews. So I had our accounting department run the numbers, and it turns out that we're only 38 away from 1,000. So we could actually get to a thousand five star reviews in Apple Podcast by the time 2021 arrives. So my humble request to you guys, and there are over a thousand of you watching live at the moment, several tens of thousands of you are going to watch this in replay form. Take your iPhone or whatever Apple device you have, or whatever friend you know who has has an Apple device, and just get to that late kick podcast and give us a nice little five star review. That's all I'm asking. That is my Christmas present request to you. It is free of charge. I'm not even asking you for a vitamin shop gift card, which is my normal request. I'm just asking you for a five-star review in Apple Podcast. And before we actually get to business tonight, I have got slots open. Some of you were emailing me and got a heads up on this. I told you I'm opening up this week 
on Sunday night. Slots for uh, one-on-one Zoom consultations this week. Uh, we have had oh a busy week with this. I had some really good conversations with you guys this past week. Anyone, I'm going to be more free this week than usual. So anyone who is interested in getting into the sports media world, starting a podcast, I talked to one of you for an hour the other day who is an IT specialist who is in that field, has nothing to do with sports, but you wanted to know how the YouTube game works, book a session with me. JoshPate706 at gmail.com at Late Kick Josh on Twitter. You can find me there. You can DM me there, and we'll set something up. So it's time to talk tonight. We've got a lot to get to. But before we talk about the playoff, I wanted to break some news that's a few hours old now. And I'm holding up the sheet of paper. You know, this show is largely ad-libbed because I wanted to make sure I get these numbers right. I'm smiling ear to ear, inside and out. It brings me great joy to tell you we have a new odds-on favorite for the Heisman Trophy. It is not Najee Harris, although he knocked it out of the park last night. Is it Trevor Lawrence? No, much to the dismay of many, 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 many uh, commentators on major networks. And it's not Mac Jones, as great as he performed yesterday. No, it's the young man who just caught the pass from Mac Jones if you're watching on YouTube. Devontae Smith is now a minus 170 favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. These odds per fan duel, by the way. Mac Jones is number two at plus 170. And then there is a Grand Canyon between those two and Trevor Lawrence, who is at plus 1,500. And then Kyle Trask and Najee Harris have equal odds at plus 2,400. So this award, it looks like, is either Devontae Smith's or Mac Jones. We have openly and somewhat unprofessionally, but we don't care, lobbied for Devontae Smith on the show. We will continue to do so. All the votes have not been turned in yet, or maybe they have. Maybe they have been. Listen, I hope you did the right thing. I hope you voted for Najee, or I hope you voted. If you voted for Najee, I don't have a problem with it, but I hope you voted for Devontae Smith. I cited that piece last week that was in AL.com. It was either Zenith or Talty. Both of those guys do a really good job covering the SEC. And they went around and they just basically put a microphone in front of anonymous coaches' mouths and said, Heisman Trophy, who you got? And 15 out of 17 of them voted Devontae Smith. And then they got even mean about it. And they said, you're an idiot if you vote for anyone else. So I'm not going to call you an idiot. I'm just going to say, I don't think they're wrong. All right, let's get into it. The college football playoff field is set. We've got Alabama-Notre Dame in Dallas, not in New Orleans. That's interesting. More on that in a second. We've got Ohio State and Clemson in New Orleans. Which of those games would you rather go to, by the way? If you were not a fan of any of those teams, which one would you rather go to? That's just a random poll for my purposes. Bama is currently a 19.5-point favorite against Notre Dame. Clemson is a 7.5-point favorite against Ohio State. I had no visceral reaction when these matchups came out. A lot of you did. I uh, told you last week, and nothing really changed in my opinion from last week, that I just didn't think there was a right pick for number four. Therefore, by default, I guess I didn't think there was a wrong pick when it came to the teams they were choosing from. So you basically had like three teams for the final two slots and really two teams for the final slot because I thought Ohio State was going to be in. And so it was kind of like a Notre Dame, kind of like a Texas A&M. But then there were some people who said, no, Notre Dame's in. It's down to Ohio State and Texas A&M. Listen, I don't think there was an obvious number four. The top two were obvious, and I thought all the while that Ohio State was going to be in this. But here's what I want to go back to. I want to zoom it out because I know you, you get really emotional. And I told you many times, and I'll tell you again, I'll never make fun of you guys for being emotional. I appreciate it. It's why I get to have a job. You care about this stuff. and You care about it a whole lot. So I'm happy for that. I'm not happy if you're a Texas A&M fan today, and I'm not going to 
you know, rub it in your face at all. I'm going to tell you from a very broad strokes point of view, if I were to number one, trying to make everyone happy, go back to August and I were to tell you, hey, I just rubbed the magic eight ball over here and I see you and I arguing mightily come December 20th, year of our Lord 2020, about the playoff. You would have said, wait a second, I'm reading headlines all over the place that this game's going to be canceled because the entire sport's going to be canceled. Well, at least we got the season in. And hats off to Greg Sankey, who should have really just handed himself the league championship trophy last night on the podium because he, um, can we say it? Yeah, we can, Colin. He sacked up and he got his games played. And he got his games played on time. All but two of them on the entire SEC schedule got played. So round of applause for everyone watching to SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. We are going to build a real-life statue of him right here in this studio. Having said that, let's get back on track here. I didn't really think there was an obvious number four. So here's the question I always ask myself. Do I think someone with a legitimate championship gripe got left out? No, I do not. And if the answer there is no, even if Notre Dame would have gotten left out, I wouldn't be mad if Ohio State got left out. I wouldn't be all that upset. Here's why. I kind of feel like, I don't know what an example is, like in the, so in the office, if you guys watch The Office, there's an episode where there's a budget surplus. So Michael... Steve Carell has to decide what's he going to do with the budget surplus. And he's an idiot. So the last person in his ear is in all likelihood going to be the deciding factor as to where the budget surplus money goes. Do you want a new copier or do you want a new chair? There are pros and cons either way. He can't make up his mind. And really, I felt like hopefully a little bit smarter and more attentive version of Michael Scott. Only the copier was Texas A&M and the new chairs were Notre Dame or Ohio State. And really, I felt like the main two points of argument I saw out there were Texas A&M and Ohio State. And so I've got A&M over here, and they're, they're taking me out to lunch, and they're telling me, dude, we played nine games. They only played six games. There's a lot of merit to that. It's huge. I mean, Alabama lost their Remington Award caliber center last night. Notre Dame lost theirs earlier this year because they played a bunch of games. Ohio State didn't. You got a lot of merit there. They're only lost. Texas A&M's only lost us to number one, Alabama. They feel like if anyone else in the country had to play Alabama, they would have had a loss that day. I don't disagree with you. And really, here's what they could say. I saw, I saw Cecil Hurt tweet this out, and he's dead on the money. He said, you know what? It comes down to this. If your task was just you have to beat Indiana and Northwestern and four worse teams, then there'd be several undefeated teams in America. I don't know how much, I don't know how many, many undefeated teams there will be. I think AM would be one of them. And so, listen, I, there are a lot of arguments to be made there, but then Ohio State gets me out to lunch the next day. And then they say, we're undefeated. And you already thought we were one of the best four teams, didn't you? And then they would say, shh. Let me continue. And then they would say, well, we did beat Indiana. And whether you think highly of them or not, they were a top 10 team when we beat them. I mean, Northwestern, top 15, top 20, whatever they were ranked yesterday, they're a highly ranked team. We can't go off subjectivity. We have these numbers next to these teams for a reason. We can assignate actual value to the wins. But it all goes back to this. I mean, do you really think, if these resumes are, comp are comparable, do you really think that you'd favor Texas A&M against us on neutral field? Do you think that? And so they'd all have good arguments. I, um, as a result, was not going to argue either way. Having said that, there were some terrible arguments out there. So the matchups are what they are. I don't have a huge gripe about it, although I understand if you do. But there are some horrible arguments out there. I've got no tolerance whatsoever 
for folks who could not properly set odds on a game of paper football, trying to tell me who'd be favored on a neutral field and why in the world that matters. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care who you'd pick. And here's why I know I don't care who you'd pick. I don't care who I'd pick. So that should thoroughly convince you I really don't care who you'd pick. I don't care if you're a sharp odds maker and you can actually tell me who'd be favored. I don't care if you run a sports book and you tell me. The only time that stuff matters is in a tiebreaker scenario. I had a lot of folks trying to throw out the idea that Oklahoma may be favored over Notre Dame. Hey, I got news for you. I'd probably pick Florida if they played Notre Dame tomorrow. I don't think Florida belongs in. You know why? Because the resumes aren't comparable. Uh, Florida had a shot. And they shot themselves in the foot. They don't belong in the playoff. You got a resume for a reason. It's so we decide things on football fields instead of, instead of these right here, these pieces of paper. These pieces of paper, they can lie to you sometimes, can't they? Also, I got even more folks in my, in my DMs, and I haven't answered you guys because I'm going to answer you all now, talking about who you'd just rather see. You know, like th this is the crowd who looks at a couple of resumes and they say, you know, I got to be honest. Resume A, probably more qualified, but I just, I don't know, I, I, I want to see resume B. I don't, it doesn't matter what you want to see. It doesn't matter how you think resume B would perform against Alabama versus resume A. I, I don't need you to project how a game would go. I don't need you to tell me what you think the better game would be. This was the garbage we dealt with in 2011. You got Alabama LSU by 10 miles, the best teams in America, but folks telling you, I want to see a, a team in there that could score more points. So let's put Oklahoma State in there. Let's not put Oklahoma State in there. Let's put the two with about half a billion combined future NFL players on their teams. Let's put them in there. And I don't care if you want to see a rematch because the playoff is not built to appease you. It's built to reward the four most deserving resumes. That's what it's built to do. And then, since we're talking about resumes, we circle back to strength of schedule. If you want to include a Las Vegas element in the college football playoff selection criteria. I have no problem with it. I've always advocated for it. But the problem is you guys are advocating for the wrong avenue of the Vegas metric to be included. You guys want to value who'd be favored over who. That has no business at the table of selecting a college football playoff field. But here's what does have business at the table. You're telling me how many ranked wins you have, and you're telling me how many wins over top 15 teams you have. Therein lies the problem. You guys, a lot of you, and I'm not talking to necessarily the viewing audience here, but a lot of people making these decisions, you don't have the slightest idea how to properly determine strength of schedule in college football. You're going off wins and losses. This is not professional sports. It's not the NFL. You are not always what your record says you are in college football. By and large, you are in the pro game. That's why it was one of many reasons the pro game should be handled differently than the college game. More on that in a second. Um, I got a big, big problem with folks who want to retroactively devalue wins. Perfect example right now is Texas A&M. Texas A&M plays Florida, an undefeated Florida, with Kyle, well, got Kyle Trask, and with Kyle Pitts on the field early in the year. And they beat him by three points. Heck of a game. We called it at the time, and it remains to be one of the most underrated national games of the college football season. I figured it was going to have long-term implications. It turns out we didn't even know how right we were on that. So um, I got folks telling me that game doesn't matter, or it doesn't have nearly as much shine now because uh, Florida lost to LSU last week. Like, um, like that game happened two months ago, and so your eyeballs saw it, and nothing about that game has changed. It's frozen in time in the past 
And yet all of a sudden you go and you, you drill into the ice and because you watched a Kyle Pitts-less Florida team that had obviously disproportionate motivation to the day they played you, lose to LSU, you go and drill in the ice and you kind of you suck out 30% of the value of that game. You know how stupid that is? You know how crazy that is? And here's the other question. What if in this crazy world of real human beings playing this sport, what if you beating a team one week causes them to fall off the cliff in following weeks? You're going to devalue the win when you could be the very reason why you knocked them off a cliff? A lot of people believe in that. Had it a few years ago with Bama. Bama faces a top five Florida State team to begin the year. They beat Florida State thoroughly. They knock out the quarterback. And the remainder of the year, Florida State's in a tailspin. It was Jimbo's final year. So I have folks at the end of the year trying to tell me that's not even a ranked win. What are you talking about? They were sitting there top five at the beginning of the year, a national title contender. The reason they fall off a cliff is because Alabama sucked their soul out of their body and also knocked their quarterback out. And now because of that, Florida State ends the season unranked, and so you don't get credit for a ranked win. Like These people don't have any spot in this process. That kind of ideology has no spot in this process. Next problem a lot of you have, there's no path for a G5 team. You're right. There pretty much isn't a path for a G5 team. I agree with you, and I want one. The only difference is you and I... Some of you and I view the answer to this very differently. The solution is where we differ. I'm going to talk about that more in just a second. And then finally, I wanted to address this. It's kind of a a long-held belief on this show. Just because there are a lot of people upset doesn't really mean there's anything wrong. And I want to reiterate, there are a lot of people who are upset right now, just as there have been every college football playoff selection Sunday since we've had this thing. It's like if you study for the test and you get the A, you got what you deserved, but then there's this kid over here who doesn't really study. Trust me, I've been in this kid's shoes many a time. This kid doesn't study, and he gets a C on the test, and then he goes to the teacher and says, I don't like my grade. I got a C. Uh, What kind of teacher in their right mind is going to say, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make that test a little bit easier next time. You're right. You're upset, and I don't want you to be upset anymore. Now, you had a shot, And you could have studied and you could have gotten the A, but you know what? It's not your fault. It's my fault. I'm the problem here. The teacher is the problem. Even though the outline was perfectly well laid out for you, I'm going to ease up on the test. No, they don't say that, of course, because there are a lot of things that are applicable principle-wise in real world that for some reason don't make it over the fence into college football. So a lot of people are upset right now. A&M's upset. You had your shot. Not even beating Alabama. Make it more competitive against Alabama. Make it more convincing against bad teams that you played. Uh, Oklahoma had their shot. I don't care if you're hot at the end of the year. Georgia, I don't care if you're hot at the end of the year. You got two losses already. You had your shot. You didn't get it done. This is supposed to be extremely hard to get into. It's supposed to be exclusive. Everyone's not supposed to have a seat at the table. If it does, then it's not college football anymore. College football is unique unto any other American sport because the postseason is extremely exclusive. I love that. So therefore, I don't have a big problem with this. And I'm not of the opinion that just because someone's mad, it means something's wrong and it needs to be fixed. Colin, that's where we'll cut that off. But let's continue. For our live show's purposes, let's continue here. So a lot of people are very mad about the college football playoff selection process, the G5s, what's the solution here? And to ask that question by default, it insinuates that there's a problem. In order for something to be fixed or need to be fixed, then it means there's a problem. And I'm going to tell you what is a very inconvenient truth, but it's a truth nonetheless. There is no answer for the G5. 
as things are currently stipulated, there is no answer for the G5. Now, you need to know this. I know I sound like your friend at the moment, and I'm going to end up sounding like your friend. It's just going to be a tough pill for a second. I love the structure we have right now more than any that we've had. Um, If anything, I'd like to go in reverse a little bit, not forward to a more expansive model. I like the structure we have right now. I like the exclusivity. I like that you have to jump over a lot of hurdles in order to get in this thing. I like that even the good Power 5 teams get left out most of the time. I agree with the format. I agree with the teams they put in this year. In fact, I think I've agreed with the four teams they've put in every single year. But, all right, now let me get friendly again. I love G5 football. I love it. I talk about it with you guys individually all the time. The videos don't do great numbers, so I don't talk about it on the show. But a lot of you can vouch for the fact that I talk all week with you guys about it in the DMs. Here's what you'll never hear me say, okay? Um, And I want to specify this because a lot of times the wrong beliefs get thrown at people who are of my opinion. I'm of the opinion that I like four. I like it to be extremely hard, if not impossible, for a G5 team to make it in the playoff as it's structured now. But yet I love G5 football. Those two things don't compute, right? Well, they do. But I want to tell you what I don't believe. You will never hear me say G5s are incapable of competing with P5s. Well, that's, of course, absurd. They do it every year. They've done it in the postseason. You will never hear me disrespect G5 teams because I have ultra high respect for them. I know coaches on G5 staffs. Like, I know what those guys go through. I know the kinds of disadvantages they face and how how many obstacles in a lot of cases they overcome in, in the ability to compete with their Power Five brethren sometimes. I know all that. I am uniquely aware of that. You will never hear me say, I don't want them to get a shot, even though it sounds like I just did. No, I want them to get a shot. I'm just a realist about college football's postseason. I do not compare the Power Five product to the G5. But here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying G5, P5 don't compare. What I, don't make that mistake. We're talking about the playoff here. We're not talking about the Music City Bowl. We're talking about the college football playoff. So in order to do that, we're comparing the top of the G5 to the top of the P5, the elites. The, we're not talking about Wake Forest. We're talking about Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, The best G5 teams don't compare there. That's just reality. I got news for you. 95% of the P5 teams don't either. So before they chuckle over there, you don't have anything more in common with Alabama than Cincinnati does. In fact, Cincinnati may have a little bit more in common with them than uh, you do at uh, Missouri right now. So I just sit over in the corner and be quiet and let us talk about this. It's impossible to meet the minimum threshold in my mind to qualify for the current college football playoff for 99% of G5 teams. It has nothing to do with the team. It has nothing to do with whether I think they'd be good enough to compete. Please understand what I'm saying. It, it has. If I'm looking at Cincinnati right now or UCF in the past, it has nothing to do with whether I think if I put them on the field in a one-game situation, they could compete. I think they could, actually. So let me go that far. I think they could. It's about the challenge. It's about a minimum baseline threshold of a challenge that your schedule has to present to you that I do not think a G5 schedule presents. Let me also pause and tell you that line between G5 and P5, blurry at best right now. So I think a lot of the American Athletic Schedule conferences probably overlap and maybe even exceed at this point some of the Pac-12's schedules. So I'll probably not even say the word or I'll probably not even use the letters and numbers power five all that much longer. I think the bottom of that scale is kind of eroded a little bit. 
But uh, to, to put a very fine, emphatical point on this and, and show you what I mean, I could take the Kansas City Chiefs and I could give them Cincinnati's schedule right now and I wouldn't support them being in the college football playoff. Just to show you it has nothing to do with Cincinnati and it has nothing to do with those teams. I, I don't care. I, I don't care what team you are. If I took Alabama and I gave them Tulsa's schedule, I wouldn't support them being in the playoff. It would have nothing to do with the quality of team. There is a minimum baseline challenge you have to have faced. If you don't face it, then you didn't put yourself in the arena through no fault of yours. It's just you didn't face it. And it's not your fault. Well, it's also not Alabama's fault or Notre Dame's fault either. How do you fix that? So some people's answer is to expand. I don't think that's the answer. Uh, Some people's thought is, well, we got to have auto bids. I don't think that's the answer. So uh, my answer has always been a G5 playoff. Some people push back on that. Some people think it's a good idea. I'd love to see it. I, I ask, why is there pushback? A G5 playoff, you can model it and structure it exactly how the Power Five is currently structured. For the folks who push back on that, I just ask this question. What are you pushing back on? Because if, if the entire basis for your argument is G5 programs belong in this conversation because they are comparable to the P5, because they can compete with the P5, well, then by default, your product should be just as good. It should be a standalone product. If you have your own playoff over here, it should carry just as much weight. It should be standalone in nature. People should be interested enough to watch. Therefore, it's going to have intrinsic value. What about this is not true, unless you don't really believe in the points you're making. Now, I think it would succeed. I think it would be a big hit. But you think right now the Power 5 structure is screwing you, and you're partially right about that. You think it's very exclusive and it's not allowing you at the table. You're very much right about that. So how about a model wherein, number one, you have full autonomy. Number two, you get everything that you're asking for. You get a seat. You get equality. Everyone gets a shot. Number three, it's fair. It's decided fair. Things aren't fair right now. So you need to, if if I were in a situation where it was untenable, and I could get away from the current situation and start my own, I'd go start my own. That's what I would do. You can remain angry, though. Like, you can disagree with me. I know a lot of you right now are disagreeing, and that's fine. It's just college football at the end of the day. But I want to ask you, who are you really angry at? You angry at the college football playoff? You angry at people like me who like the current model? If you are, why? Because I didn't make this thing. And the folks who did make this thing... I don't necessarily think are the folks you think they are. You think it's an ESPN deal. You think there's this big bad wolf that's a big broadcast monster and it's all fixed and you may be half right about that. In fact, you may be mostly right about that. But let me ask you something. Have you heard G5 commissioners speak out against this thing? Really speak out against it. Not recite talking points like a politician does when you know behind the scenes they're sitting there rubbing their hands together. No, 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 no. I mean, has there been any actionable move by a G5 conference commissioner to overturn this, to revolt, to rebel against it? The answer is no. Do you know why? Let me once again fill you in on this little secret. The entire reason the college football playoff exists is because everyone signed off on it. Current format, current structure, current way it's decided, Yeah, the Power Five conference commissioners, they had no problem signing off on it. But you know which other signatures are on that contract? The signatures of G5 commissioners. And so just as sure as they walk to a podium and with a microphone in front of their face, they scream outrage, they're in the back room back here counting money. They need it. They need it. They did the same thing I would do. They need it. But how are you going to fix it? Because you can argue the college football playoff has hurt the sport and you could argue all that. But I'm just telling you, it's not fixable. 
That's the whole point. It's not fixable. It's you're going to have problems no matter what you do because if you split off over here, you're going to have a revenue problem. If you stay here where you're kind of subsidized, you're going to have an inclusion problem. You're always going to have a problem. But I want to address a couple of more points that people are making today and then we'll move on. A lot of points people are making today have something to do with one of the two bullet points mainly. There are many folks who believe that the college football playoff has hurt the sport because now only a few teams can really compete for a national title. You are right, partially. Only a few teams can compete for the national title right now. Why can only a few teams? Why is Bama there every year? Why is Clemson there every year? Are you suggesting to me that the college football playoff did something to put those teams in perennial position to compete for a championship? Because I don't think that's the case at all. I told you the other day on the show, what I think has happened is that there were a few programs who had themselves in the right position, and there was a massive, over the past decade and a half to two decades, there has been a massive infusion of TV cash into this sport. That's before even the college football playoff contract came into the room. It's now here and here to stay, but there was a massive influx of new TV cash into the room long before the college football playoff came around, and there were programs that were structured the right way. They were built on a firm foundation, and then when the money came in the room, the ones who were doing it the right way, they built high-rises, and the ones who were doing it the wrong way didn't matter because they were building on sand, so it was going to keep collapsing on them, and it didn't matter how much money they kept throwing at the problem. They didn't have the foundation built right, but there were a few programs. Saban's Alabama is one of them. Dabo's Clemson is one of them. Urban Meyer and now Ryan Day's Ohio State was one of them. Lincoln Riley and Bob Stoops even before him. That Oklahoma program was one of them. Those high-rises started to go up really quickly. It's like New York in the late 70s, early 80s. May have been the mafia running things, but those high-rises were going up really quickly. So you started to see some separation really quickly. And there was this other thing happening, too. It was a very, very quick offensive evolution toward the quarterback position, which has always been the most important position. It became really, really important. Never has the game hinged on quarterback play like it does if you've got a Trevor Lawrence now or a Tua Tungavailoa or a Kyle Trask or a Mac Jones. That one person, that one dude is the difference in your entire fortune. And then when one of them leaves, you have another one come in. And it's a cycle, but it's a cycle that had to start somewhere. Where did it start? And if you're telling me the playoff started it, well, I ask you, how in the world did LSU do what they did last year? LSU was not close to being in the playoff until they were. And what did they do? Well, they had an athletic structure that got Scott Woodward in there as the athletic director. And he had very barely been there when they won the title. I understand that. But they had a good roster there and the right quarterback walked in and Joe Burrow. And they had everything come together, as has to happen, to win a title. And there's nothing about the college football playoff that propelled LSU. LSU propelled LSU. And if you don't think there are not another dozen programs, at the very, very least, in major college football, capable of doing that, you're crazy. The problem, as we all know, if you really step back and think about this, is it's much easier for folks associated with failing football programs to look at you and say, Guys, what can we do? The playoffs keeping us out. It's a lot easier to say that than for them to say, guys, we suck and we have no clue how to run an athletic department. And we really, if we could get out of our own way, we could be successful. That is the current plight of the University of Tennessee. That is the current plight of the University of Texas. The playoff is not keeping those teams out. Those teams are keeping those teams out. And then the other argument that I had made to me probably a hundred times today is 
Well, at the very least, we need auto bids to make conference championships matter again. Because these games get really boring and no one cares about them. No, no, that's not the case at all. You may not care about them. But we care about them a great deal. In fact, if you can think back to either the Late Kick podcast or Late Kick Live, which we're doing right now, and Colin can attest to this. Colin, I don't think I've had you make a single playoff projection graphic the entire year. When we talk about Oregon in September and October and November, we talk about them within the context of making the Pac-12 championship game. When we talk about Georgia, we talk about them making it to Atlanta. In the Big 12, we talk about teams making it to the Big 12 championship game. That's because we still revolve our thinking around a conference championship structure. We still think in terms of conference. And I have suggested to you, and I will continue to suggest to you, you decide what you care about. You decide what you place value on. The college football playoffs are nebulous. It's there, but we don't even talk about it until right before the playoff happens. This is our second college football playoff topic of the entire season this year. We've done several conference topics, second playoff topic. The college football playoff is not hurting college football nearly as much as the way the sport is covered is hurting college football. That's why we intentionally do it different around here than I see it done elsewhere. I tweeted out earlier today, I don't even watch college football studio coverage. I never see it. I hear you guys complain all the time, and you tell me one of the reasons you watch Late Kick is because we don't do it the way the other guys do, and that part is intentional. But I exposed myself to a little bit of it this morning. It doesn't shock me at all that a growing amount of people don't care about the conference championship. You got playoff propaganda being thrown at you uh, from August on. Well, if you're told that's what matters and you don't detach yourself from it, like I've been thankfully wise enough to do, well, then you get convinced the only thing that matters is college football playoff. Well, that's not the case. And you have the power as to whether you think that's the case or not. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's move on. Let's talk about actual games. Conference Championship Saturday in the books yesterday. Got a lot to say about this. Alabama beats Florida 52 to 46. Not 26, not 36, 46. We expected Florida's game of the year. A lot of you laughed at us about that. I never wavered. Uh, Florida lost to LSU. That much is true. Um, But... As much as that mattered in the context of the college football playoff, it mattered none within the context of last night's game in Atlanta for the SEC championship. We never thought that. And so I thought Alabama would win by a little bit wider margin, but I fully expected Florida to come out on fire and to play the best game of the year, and they did. That's by far the strongest four-quarter push Alabama's gotten all year, and yet they still won. So Alabama's offense, what is it really? If I were to ask you, describe it. I've only listened to them on radio. I've never watched them. 
describe Alabama's offense for me. Well, what do you say? Because they're one part uh, high-performance sports car, and then they're another part rock slide. They can do either, and they can do it in the same drive, at the drop of a hat, snap of a finger, whatever you want to say. Najee Harris yesterday had a very Derrick Henry stat line. It's been a long time since anyone said that about a running back at Alabama or in college football in general. He had 31 carries. I, can't, I don't know when the last time a Bama back not named Henry had 30 or more carries. Najee Harris has 31 carries for 178 yards and two touchdowns and tacks on five receptions for 67 and three touchdowns. Guy had five total touchdowns last night. And you got to credit Florida. I mean, you really do because they were down 35-17 at the half. Bama's well on their way to, it looks like, naming the score. They've run 51 plays in the first half, which was important because Florida, the week before, their defense had been on the field for like 86 or something like that. And so Florida, at the halftime point of this game yesterday, their defense had been on the field 137 plays over the last six quarters. That's tough. And yet the Gators still outscored Alabama 28-17 to in the second half. I was impressed. It just screamed how much more inexplicable that loss to LSU last week was. And as for Alabama, here's where it was funny. So after the game, I had already watched Dabo Swinney's postgame press conference where he's given unlimited stage time to vouch for Trevor Lawrence and the Heisman, and he's talking about who should be in, who should be out. Brian Kelly's debating left and right. He's really angry and salty with the media. We should still be in. We got all kinds of folks out there lobbying for this, lobbying for that. Jimbo Fisher looks like he's throwing up gang signs because he's counting on his fingers so many different ways that Texas A&M should be in. Nick Saban is leaned back with a cup of Gatorade on the field, and then I see him in another post-game interview where his biggest concern is the fact that they're having the playoff selection reveal while he's going to be in church this morning. And so he's not really going to know what happened before he gets out. And that was the biggest concern. So different worlds that some coaches live in versus other coaches. Really fascinating. When you got the number one seed locked up, you don't really have a whole lot to worry about. What about the team that locked up the number two seed emphatically? The Clemson Tigers. Atonement was the name of the game last night in Charlotte. 34 to 10 is the final. Got a couple of padlock stats. I'm having fun with you guys because a lot of you are sending me padlock stats now. I barely even have to pull up the stat broadcast box score, but I do it anyway. So uh, you guys were dead on the money. This one was really not all that hard to see. If you watch the game, you know where I'm going. The first time around, Travis Etienne had under 30 total rushing yards. It was a very, very meek performance for the Clemson offense and the Clemson running game in particular. That changed yesterday in a big way. Clemson had 27 runs for 219 yards. That's good for 8.1 yards per carry. That and that alone would be enough if you told me Friday to know they're going to win probably convincingly. But if that's not enough, how about a second padlock stat? Because just as impressive as Clemson was on the ground flipping the script from the first time they played, there was another part of the script that they flipped. And they flat out said, we are not going to be run on again. That's If Ian Book beats us, Ian Book beats us. We ain't getting run on again. 30 carries for 44 total yards for Notre Dame. That, friends, is good for 1.5 yards per clip. And I heard some folks on the Notre Dame side, I think it may have been Ian Book that was quoted as saying, this game tonight, it was just kind of an anomaly. We didn't show up. I think he's right in theory that one of these games was an anomaly. I just don't think it was the one from last night. 
I and I was wrong about this. I thought Notre Dame was going to be much more competitive, and they just weren't. So I just I was wrong about that one. Um, but I do think there was an anomaly here. The unfortunate part for Notre Dame is I think the, the anomaly was the first time they played. And as much as DJ Uyangalale's stat line was very impressive the first time around, you saw Trevor Lawrence last night. He had, I don't know how many on the ground. He had a really, really good game. And so Trevor Lawrence and the different dynamic that his game has, plus the overall just cerebral nature, and you guys know how much I love that word, of his game, it's a different level. It should be a different level. He's been there forever. And so uh, they were very, very impressive, they being Clemson. They're on their way to the college football playoff. And once again, the rest of the college football world kind of looks and they shake their head and they say, is that team going to peak at the right time again? Are they going to do this thing again, EJ Williams? You know, there's Phoenix City, Alabama is right next to Columbus where I grew up. There's this little conveyor belt right now that's just pumping freak wide receivers out to Clemson. You had Justin Ross. You got EJ Williams there. I don't know what Central High School is doing right now. That's the high school they come from. I don't know what Central High School has on the roster right now. But just take the best receiver from there, and they'll be in Clemson in two years catching balls one-handed. There was a game, by the way, um, before I move on. There was a game a couple of years ago. It was a playoff game, I think, or maybe a preseason, maybe a, an out-of-region game. I, uh, I'm, I'm covering games. And so when you cover for local news, you do several games in one night. So I get over to Garrett Harrison Stadium. It's, it's right off um, J.R. Allen Parkway there in Phoenix City. And I go, and I'm covering a game, and I'm on the sideline. And uh, there is a receiver named Justin Ross, it turns out, who is making all kinds of plays for Central. Then there's this other kid from Lee Montgomery who fields, no, he catches a slant over the middle. And he looks like he hits a fast forward button. He's working in like time and a half speed relative to Central's defenders. And so I say, who in the world? So I, I look at the number and then I pull up the roster they've given me. And that kid's name was Henry Ruggs. So we had Henry Ruggs and Justin Ross in the same field out there, and that was just a normal Friday night in Phoenix City, Alabama. So Phoenix City pumping them out. How about, um, how about Oklahoma? Oh, man, this one hurts. Okay, so the Sooners beat Iowa State 27-21. to 21. It did indeed pain me, I won't lie. A lot of you, and very respectfully, a lot of you were there for me in my moment of need yesterday, and I did need someone. I just needed someone to feel sorry for me. That's all I wanted. All I wanted was people to feel sorry for me, and I got it. I was very surprised, i got to be honest with you, I was very surprised at the amount of, I don't know if you would call them procedural or just self-imposed or self-inflicted errors on Iowa State's part. That is, I'm not one of these guys who takes away things from an opponent. I'm not that at all. The point is, Oklahoma puts plenty enough on you to beat you. And part of the pressure that an opponent like Oklahoma applies to you can be a contributing factor to the mistakes you make. Understanding all that, there were some things that happened procedurally for Iowa State yesterday. There were some decisions made at the quarterback position that relative to the second half of the season had been pretty atypical. So it was disappointing. To lose by six points and be minus three turnover margin is not something I would expect from Iowa State. Oklahoma could theoretically do that. Iowa State, if there were going to be minus three turnovers, I expect a three-plus touchdown Oklahoma win. And yet it was still right there on the number. We had Iowa State plus six. We waited to bet that game until we got six. I was talking to Brad Powers, actually, uh, from, from pregame, among several other places. And I said, man, I don't know where this number's going to land. It was five and a half. I was going to give it out on the Thursday show at five and a half. And he said, I think six. I think it's going to rest at six. So wait on it. And we waited and it got to six and I handed it out 27 to 21 final. So we pushed there. So we lost the conference title game and we pushed. I need you to pay attention to Oklahoma. 
I did a segment in the offseason. I said Lincoln Riley is going to win a national title at Oklahoma. You, a lot of you didn't believe that. And you didn't believe it because you have watched Oklahoma and the teams that you've seen Oklahoma put on the field and in the playoffs, you don't think are good enough to win national titles. And you're right. I was making the point that I don't think that's the style they're going to stick with. Did you watch Oklahoma yesterday? That Oklahoma Sooners team this year, it may not be the best one he's ever had. This Oklahoma, what they're evolving into, now you're a couple of years in with Alex Grinch, at defensive coordinator, what they're evolving into is going to be a team that looks a lot more like what Alabama has looked like, what Clemson has looked like. They can run the ball. They can play solid defense. That's what they can do now. They are locking up another top 10 class. Oklahoma's recruiting as well as they have in your lifetime right now. They're knocking it out of the park. They're killing it in Texas. They are recruiting at a very high level, and it's not just 14 wide receivers. They're recruiting on the defensive line very well. They're recruiting defensive players very well. They're not taking all the elite perimeter guys and just putting them all at receiver. Lincoln Riley knows what he's doing. Oklahoma is going to be in serious contention for a national championship next year. Uh, This is probably a precursor to that. So watch Oklahoma. Love them next year. Oregon on Friday night beat USC 31 to 24. Turnovers ended up doing it. Uh, We sat here on on Tuesday night of last week when I did the preview or Thursday night for the game. And I, I did the preview and I said, USC has been plus turnover margin all year. Oregon has been minus turnover margin all year. That has led to the final scores of their games, obviously. Those final scores have led to the point spread on this game. Spread was wrong. It was wrong. Southern Cal was favored by three and a half. We just thought it was wrong. We took Oregon to cover. We took him to win. And the reason is because turnovers are not predictive. Turnovers are totally random. And when you got a team who's been plus all year and a time who's been minus all year, well, guess what? The odds are, believe it or not, in a one-game scenario, that stuff's going to even out, maybe even tilt Oregon. Sure enough, it did. USC minus two turnovers. Oregon, 14 points off turnovers. Oregon won this thing and scored 31 in the process. They didn't even have 280 total yards of offense. So on top of that, Mario Cristobal signed a new deal with Oregon. So we got a Pac-12 championship out there when you didn't even win the division, by the way. And we got a head coach extended. It turned into a surprisingly good week because at the beginning of the week, Oregon didn't even know they were playing in the conference title game. And they thought their head coach may be going to Auburn. And so you end the week, head coach is re-upped. You got a conference title you didn't even know you were going to play for. All's well in Eugene. Now, as for Ohio State, they beat Northwestern 22 to 10. This is how you can afford it. If you watched this game yesterday, it was pretty boring, just to be honest with you. If you watched this game, it's how you can afford to play, unfortunately, for Northwestern. It's how you can afford to play if you know the opponent cannot score. And it was very apparent Northwestern was never going to pull away from Ohio State yesterday. And so Ohio State looked horrible. They just looked terrible. They were discombobulated, disjointed offensively. But yet you and I both knew watching that game, when's it going to happen? When's the big series going to happen? There was going to be, I felt like there was going to be about a five to seven minute period in that game where there are going to be a couple of Ohio State touchdowns and that would be that. And that's exactly what happened. And 22 to 10 is the final. And I... Ryan Day is a better man than me. I would have punched it in at the end. I would have, uh, knowing that all this stuff's being looked at very critically, I would have punched it in. He didn't, though. I, here's the problem I have with Ohio State. We got a lot of time before we predict the uh, semifinal game against Clemson. They don't. They lack a killer instinct. 
Okay, Trey Sermon, for instance, that's a guy who has a killer instinct. He had 29 runs for over 330 yards yesterday. He averaged, he had 29 carries, and he averaged 11.4 yards per carry in a conference title game against a pretty darn good defense in Northwestern. Trey Sermon's the kind of guy, you know, when he's running it and then glaring at the sideline saying, give me the ball more. That's the kind of guy you want. You just need a whole lot more of him. Ohio State doesn't have a whole lot more Trey Sermon mentally. Physically, they got freaks everywhere. They got five-star and four-star guys everywhere. That mentality, that's what you need in your locker room. I don't know where it is with Ohio State, but I will say this, and this is why I have some hope for them in the playoff. Just as we told you with Oregon, we were picking them based on what they hadn't done yet, play a complete game. Ohio State hasn't played their complete game yet either. And so normally by the time if you've gotten to a conference title game, if you hadn't already played a complete game, you're just not going to do it. But that's a normal year. Ohio State is where you would normally be on the schedule in like mid-October. Some teams don't even peak until early November in a normal year. Ohio State's only played six games. So maybe they're just now getting to that point where in a normal year they'd be hitting their stride. The only difference is it's really weird because they're now in the playoff. If their complete game is still ahead of them, they got a shot to beat Clemson. If we get the product that we've seen so far, Clemson's going to have a whole lot of fun in New Orleans in two weeks. That's just the way that is. All right, we got some stuff happening, um, happening very quickly, actually. So let me rearrange my papers here because I want to get these quotes right. Things may be happening at Tennessee. I know there was a lot going on yesterday. It was conference championship Saturday. And then uh, if if you're not a Tennessee fan, you were either pulling for your team in the playoff or you were watching the playoff selection process happen. And you may not have been paying attention to what's happening in Knoxville. There may be moves coming. There may be movement with Jeremy Pruitt. Now, I'm going to tell you what I know, and I'm going to tell you what I don't know, okay? And I'm going to remind you where I've been this year on Pruitt, but it's been mainly in principle. I've done a lot of radio with Trey Wallace and the guys in Knoxville, and it's been in principle. This year, I told you guys on this show, and I've reiterated it when I've done radio in Knoxville, it has nothing to do with Pruitt. I said with all of college football, if I don't view your coach as being on the hot seat before the season begins, there's nothing that can happen in 2020 short of scandal, bookmark that, short of scandal that can make me change my mind. I'm just allowing 2020 to be a throwaway year. I decided that before the first games happened because I knew things were going to get emotional as they always do, and no one thinks straight when you're emotional. So now things are emotional, and a lot of folks may not be thinking straight. Having said that, there is a new wrench that has been thrown into things. So yesterday, our guys over at FanRunRadio.com report that the Tennessee football program is being investigated by the NCAA and their own internal compliance department for recruiting violations and impermissible benefits. A few things to note here. Number one, it is fair to say that Jeremy Pruitt has not felt the full support behind the scenes that he thinks he deserves. I think that's fair to say reading the tea leaves. Number two, I think it's fair to say some of those supporters that he wants behind him have looked at the results on the field, and they don't like what they see. So you have maybe some butting of heads there. Number three, this report was very conveniently timed. I think there's a lot of merit to the speculation that a lot of you had yesterday. Keep in mind, this did not seem to come from a rival coaching staff or anything like that. 
It's an internal investigation. It's happening inside the four walls of Tennessee right now. Therefore, the folks who know about it are at Tennessee. The folks who could deliver that information for a report are inside Tennessee. And if someone's inside Tennessee that doesn't like where things are and they have the motivation to leak this, then you can put two and two together and realize that, you know, there's things in these contracts, a lot of reasons that you don't make a move or buyout related. Well, if you got some cause, maybe you can make a move. Now that's pure speculation. We don't know. And that includes me. I don't know that that's the case, but I would be lying if I told you I didn't think that along with you when I saw the timing of this report right before kickoff of the final game of the year where Pruitt doesn't really even have time to respond to it. Got a game to play. He's asked about it post-game. He acts like he's taken by surprise, even though I can assure you he probably wasn't taken by surprise. So where are we at right now? Well, I would advise you to be very careful with just accepting consensus as fact. A lot of times in recruiting, in coaching searches, in um, rumors and innuendo maybe leading to a coaching change, a lot of times there is very little information out there. There are very few actual facts. But there is a, an in, really an unquenchable thirst for information. And so something's got to fill that void. We got little in the way of fact. We got a ton in the way of interest. So some people find it and take it upon themselves to make things up. And then since you don't have any real information coming out, then you latch on to something you read on a message board or something you saw on Twitter, and it can get carried a long, long way. And it can get regurgitated and aggregated by a whole lot of people. Be careful with that. Because then it turns into consensus, and you think since you've heard 37 people say it, it's got to be true. There's one going around right now. Jeremy Pruitt's not happy at Tennessee. He really wants out. Do you know that? I don't know that. I talked to several people around Tennessee today. None of them know that. I'm just telling you, it could be true, but it ain't true because you saw it on Twitter. I can promise you that. Number two, I will tell you what I have heard and what I do know. I think that that staff is very uneasy right now. A lot of folks in the coaching world who have contacts there uh, would go as far as to tell you they think moves are coming. Staff moves certainly are coming. I think that's all but inevitable. Uh, there are a lot of guys who... If the reporting has been correct on this, and I have no reason to believe it hasn't, I know the folks who are behind the reporting on this, so I certainly have every reason to believe it's valid and accurate. If that reporting is accurate, then certainly you would expect staff moves. Does that include the head coach? That's the big question. Is Pruitt going to be given some kind of ultimatum? You got to get rid of these guys or you're gone. Where does he stand on all this? Where does Phil Fulmer stand on all this? Because Pruitt's guy is full, or well, Fulmer's guy is Pruitt. And you gotta you gotta wonder how attached at the hip they are. And you gotta also wonder, you know, where does Phil Fulmer stand, period, right now? Like what what is his stock? What is his status around there? He's the athletic director right now. And third question out of about a million questions, what kind of timeline? I was asking that folks that today uh, that would know, and none of them know. We're past the early signing date, we're after the end of the season. You know, there is no line in the sand where we're, if we're going to do something, we got to get it done by that point. There really isn't that right now. Could be the new year, could be tomorrow, could be February 27th. I have no clue. And a lot of folks who I know to be knowledgeable of Tennessee athletics, they don't really know right now either. So if you got folks out there telling you they know what's going on, hats off to them. Maybe they do know. I would um, just very thoroughly vet them. Very thoroughly. That would be my advice to you. Meanwhile at Auburn, 
The coaching search is entering a very critical 48 to 72 hour period. As I've told you, never speak in days when it comes to coaching searches and recruiting. Only speak in terms of hour intervals. 24, 36, 48, 72, 96. If you want to really get out there towards the end of the week and go the 120 hour down the road model, that's mainly for like the GFS and Euro tracking for meteorology, but it's interview week at Auburn. Interview week is here. Now, our folks over at AuburnUndercover.com have reported Steve Sarkeesian is going to get interviewed, Alabama offensive coordinator. Kevin Steele, of course, going to get an interview. Brent Venables, defensive coordinator from Clemson. Billy Napier, been really quiet down there. So Billy Napier at Louisiana, he's going to get an interview here. Now, I told you late last week, I had been hearing that Neil Brown was a serious contender. He's the current head coach at West Virginia. He was at Troy before that. He knows that area very well. The folks over at Auburn Undercover reported that today. So that's a second confirmation just past little old me that's telling you, yep, Neil Brown's in this. Bill Clark, according to our folks over at Auburn Undercover from UAB, he will get an interview. Tony Elliott, offensive coordinator at Clemson, not going to get an interview. I think uh, they reported he has declined. Uh, So I'm I'm, I'm shady on the details there, but it looks like Elliott is out. That's according to AuburnUndercover.com. So I want to touch on Bill Clark for a second. I'm from the South. Uh, Bill Clark is from the South. He has been at UAB, and then they shut down the program, and then they decided to have a program again, and now he's winning again. Everyone in the South that wants to prove their football IQ to you, they all go to the same well. They all tell you, yeah, Saban's good, but man, you know who's really good? Bill Clark. And they're counting on you not knowing who Bill Clark is. So then they can really impress you with the fact that they know a lot about University of Alabama, Birmingham football. And really, if you pressed them on it, they wouldn't know all that much because they're really they really just know Bill Clark does an amazing job, which he does. I'm not raining on Bill Clark. I love the guy like he's incredible. Um, But that's the first thing that people down in the South do. The second thing that people who are actually plugged in in the South will do is they'll tell you, It'd be really hard to ever get Bill Clark away from UAB. There are several different reasons for that. It's a pretty unique structure there. So there are several different reasons for that. But the bottom line is it's long been thought he's not leaving UAB. He's going to be there unless just the perfect opportunity presents itself. Has anything changed there? I don't know. I have no way of knowing that. I do not know Bill Clark personally. But when we're looking at him, and then we zoom out and we look at all of these candidates, Um, here's the thing that you need to ask. Well, a couple of things. So first, how much are these interviews going to matter? Because there are a couple of schools of thought here with the Auburn coaching search. And one is they're all just window dressing and quota meeting. The other is it's a legitimate process. So how much has anything really changed? There's a very popular narrative that Kevin Steele was the guy there. I think that that was partially the case, but I don't think he was the guy to the point where it was a foregone conclusion. Enough of the decision makers were ready to stamp their approval on it. I think there were just some people who really liked Kevin Steele. So here's the question. Now you get into the interview process. Let's say for a second it is legitimate. The question you need to be asking, because this is the question candidates will ask, is how much control is Auburn University willing to give a football coach? Kirby Smart interviewed for this job several years ago. Kirby Smart wanted the job several years ago. Kirby Smart did not get this job because he demanded full control. He saw how his mentor, Nick Saban, was doing things at Alabama. He knew he was going to have to compete against Nick Saban. Kirby Smart needed everything from Auburn that Georgia eventually gave Kirby Smart. He knew 
If I don't get all 10 of these boxes checked, I'm never going to be able to beat him. It's going to be an uphill climb. It's going to be the fight of my life, even if I do get all the boxes checked. But I'm not about to go into a place, no matter how much money they're going to pay me, I'm not about to go into a place with one arm handcuffed behind my back and yet be asked to beat Nick Saban. I'm not doing that. Kirby Smart did not do that. And he ended up going to Georgia. And they've had success at Georgia. Steve Sarkeesian is going to ask for the same things Kirby Smart did. Brent Venables is going to ask for the same things Kirby Smart did. Any of these guys are. They have options. Any guys with options are going to demand the sun, moon, and stars. And if you give it to them, they may take the job. Therein lies my question. Is this process set up to check some boxes on Auburn's part? Knowing full well these guys are going to demand everything, knowing full well we're not giving it to them, so we can say we gave it the good old college try, but they wanted too much, so we're going with the guy we wanted all along. Because if you end up with Kevin Steele, for example, as your head coach, that's how it's going to go. You're going to be told, not directly, you're going to be told indirectly through leaks and whatnot. You're going to be told, we interviewed Brent Venables. We interviewed Steve Sarkeesian. They just... Boy, they, they wanted too many things that we couldn't budge on. No, they're going to want the same things that the other guys have. Are you willing to give it to them? Not you. The decision makers at Auburn, are they willing to give it to them? That's what's going to decide the Auburn coaching search. I don't know what the timetable there is either. I don't think you'll have like a Christmas decision. Who knows? That there, there have been far more Auburn things than that announcing a coach on Christmas. So we'll see how that goes. A reminder, by the way, a lot of you are watching live. Several more of you are going to watch the replay. Make sure you subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. We don't have a live show coming up again until Sunday. So if something pops, not going to be here live for it. We're going to have immediate reaction, though, on the YouTube channel. And a big, big request also as we part on this Sunday night, find the Late Kick podcast on Apple Podcast. Give us one of those five-star reviews. That's all. That's it. It's free. We want to get to 1,000. We were at 962 when we went on the air. So help us out there. And anyone interested in those uh, sports media Zoom sessions, hit me up. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. At LateKickJosh on Twitter. You guys have done a phenomenal job the last month. Our traffic, I don't know how tall the roof is in our imaginary room right now, but it cannot possibly be tall enough. You guys have blown through the roof on every metric that we keep up with. Our average viewer, I'll just give you a little inside statistical analysis here. The average viewer for Late Kick Live, the show we're doing right now, watches our show over 18 minutes. The average viewer. That's like cocaine to YouTube when they look at that. They just salivate. They love that. So thank you so much for that because... um. You've allowed us to have a lot of success on this platform. Uh, and subscribe so we can keep having the success. Uh, I am off to Georgia for the week, so uh, looking forward to that, aside from the five-hour drive that awaits me tonight. So for Director Colin, for Producer Jordan on the podcast side of things, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great week. Merry Christmas. Have fun with your families. Enjoy the bowl games you do get. And the next time we speak live, we will be previewing the college football playoff matchups. Until then, have a great week and God Now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. 
Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel. Streaming around the clock on Pluto TV, the CBS Sports app, and streaming on Paramount+.